scripture since the 70s. And I thought, there ain't no way you've been preaching scriptures since the 70s. You're not old enough. But, uh, but I know what he meant, that they, uh, there at that church, they've been printing scriptures since the 70s. And I was reminded of the fact that uh, my wife, uh, when she was in Christian school at that time, uh, not the 70s, it was a little later than that. Okay, she's not that old either. Uh, but uh, she, she would collate some of those scriptures that would go uh, over to foreign fields and they would have their church people. I don't know, they, they still have the church people do it sometimes, do they? Or, yeah. Uh, they would do it in the school then, and, uh, and if you got your schoolwork done, you'd go over and collate scripture. And, uh, and so she would do that, and uh, I just appreciate that ministry and their Bibles and uh, uh, what they've stood for over the years. And I appreciate Brother Scott and his wife as friends for many years and just faithful to the Lord, and I thank the Lord for that. Proverbs chapter number 29, that has absolutely nothing to do with the message, um, Proverbs chapter number 29, and uh, we started this chapter last week, and uh, I, I said there was a lot of verses that deal with personal conduct, and we dealt with the first half of those verses that deal with personal conduct, and I, I limited it to the verses that deal with personal conduct on our inside for us, for, for our own personal way we live our life, and then we will look at other verses that deal with personal conduct and the influence that they have on other people. And uh, there's quite a few verses I don't remember right off the top of my head. I want to say uh, about 13 verses that deal with that personal conduct. And so I think they're very uh, important. Tonight's group of verses that we're going to look at uh, will be verse number 23, 25, and 26. And I believe they deal with our personal conduct and really what it is that motivates us. Look with me at verse number 23. We'll read that and then we'll have a word of prayer and we'll get into the message tonight. Proverbs 29, verse number 23. The Bible says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity, the privilege we have to gather in your house around your word. God, I pray that you would use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch each and every heart and each and every listener. Father, as we uh, look into your word and we gather wisdom for our own selves, God, help us to be wise. Help us to uh, have good personal conduct in our lives, Father. And God, will be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done in Jesus. Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at these verses, I, I find that they're uh, very specific. All three of these verses go to, together, in my opinion, very well. And as we look at these, uh, I find that they're very specific, they're very pertinent, and they're very crucial to the dedicated Christian servant. And I, I believe that these verses uh, will be a blessing and a help to you tonight. Uh, one of the things I found uh, was this, it's not really a poem, I guess it's just kind of a saying. Uh, it, it's kind of written in poem form, but it is not a poem, all right? And it says this, it says, Appetite says, be sensuous, enjoy yourself. Education says, be resourceful, Expand yourself. Materialism says, be satisfied, please yourself. Psychology says, be confident, fulfill yourself. Pride says, be superior, 
promote yourself. Humanism says, be capable, believe in yourself. God says, be wise, humble yourself. And as we look at these verses tonight, the, the, it really, it boils down to the way the world handles things and views things and the way that a Christian and the way that a child of God ought to view things in their own life and the way they ought to handle those things in their life. As we think about personal conduct and, uh, and how we handle things, our first verse 23 there that we're looking at, the Bible says, a man's pride shall bring him low and a... Um, but, a, uh, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. And uh, I have down here, of course, that is a contrast uh, of, of, in this verse that it is explaining. It is a contrast. And I have down here for the first thing, uh, futility or fruitfulness. Futility or fruitfulness. And uh, as we look at this, he says there in the first part, let's take the first part. He says, a man's pride shall bring him low. Now what is pride? There's no shortage of people that are willing to uh, lift up themselves or to exalt themselves or to praise themselves or applaud their work and their effort that they are doing. Matter of fact, the world is really full of people like that. Matter of fact, most people and most philosophies say uh, that if you, don't, uh, if you don't toot your own horn, you're not going to get anywhere in this world. That's kind of the idea. That's what the world is constantly promoting. And, uh, and, and we see that the Bible promotes a totally different idea. So what is pride? What does pride mean? Pride means this, inordinate self-esteem, an unreasonable conceit of one's own superiority in talents, beauty, wealth, accomplishments, rank, or elevation in office, which manifests itself in lofty airs, distant reserve, and often in contempt of others. That's a pretty good definition right there. Uh, pretty lengthy. I, I did not realize when I looked up pride uh, that that definition was so long and so comprehensive. But really it is. It's not just viewing themselves as higher than other people, but really looking down even on other people uh, for for maybe some other problem that they have or thinking oneself higher than other people. Um, there's a lot that we've looked at in pride in the book of Proverbs. And uh, this is not the first time that it's come up. But uh, I found this story uh, about Hank Gathers. And uh, he was a college basketball person. I do not know anything about basketball, so you know that I just wasn't reading the sports journal, all right, and came across this. But, uh, uh, but it was a story that another preacher gave and a factual story, and he says, Hank Gathers of Loyola uh, Marymount University, which I have no idea where that's at, was one of the best college basketball players in the nation during the 1988-1989 season. He became the second player in NCAA history to lead all players in both scoring and rebounding in the same year. Gathers, next season, his senior year, the Lions basketball team was even better and won the regular season conference championship. Before a conference tournament game, at the end of the season, Gathers, Gathers told a reporter who was interviewing him, God 
couldn't guard me tonight. Talk about an arrogant, prideful statement. Just minutes into the game, Gathers scored, Gathers gathers, I'm not for sure how to pronounce his last name, but Gathers scored on a fast break dunk and then collapsed on the floor. Paramedics were unable to revive him and the 23-year-old was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital. Gathers had, had been suffering from an irregular heartbeat, but because he felt the medicine or the medication that was prescribed interfered with his ability to play basketball, he had apparently stopped taking it, which led to his early death. I don't know that it was the medicine so much as it was his statement against God that led to his early death. And when people uh, think themselves so highly uh, that they think, hey, I am above God. And, uh, and boy, how many illustrations could you pull out of uh, different places like that? And, and people that have thought themselves something that they were. Uh, this book, the Bible says here in this verse, a man's pride shall bring him low. And listen, that, the pride of that man brought him low. Uh, we talked about before, I'm, I know the, um, we've talked about many times the... Uh, uh, the ocean liner, the Titanic, that was to sail. And they said, hey, God himself, uh, at least it's rumored that God himself uh, couldn't even sink this vessel. And what did happen? It went down. And when people pit themselves and say, hey, listen, even God couldn't do this, they are setting themselves up for a complete fail because pride will bring a person low. Uh, and we see that time and time again. Go with me, save your spot here in Proverbs chapter 29. Go with me to the book of Daniel. Chapter number four, Daniel chapter number four, and I know I've referenced this before, but well, let's go there and look really quick. King Nebuchadnezzar was a king that had, I was actually surprised when I was reading more about his life, he lived, uh, he took the throne when he was roughly 40 years old and he, he reigned well into his 80s. So 40 years he was a king in, uh, and, and he reigned and built quite a large kingdom. And in Daniel chapter 4, we won't read it for sake of time, but in Daniel chapter 4, he has a vision. And God comes to him and says, listen, uh, he, he had, gave him this vision uh, about something that was going to take place and, and he didn't understand it. So he calls Daniel. Daniel, of course, comes in and he interprets it. And basically the idea of the dream is this. He said, listen, uh, you've, you've, you in your pride have exalted yourself to a place that is no longer good and you're claiming that, that you have conquered all these countries and that you've done all of this and God was making it clear, it's not you, buddy. It's me that's allowed it. God was speaking and basically said, listen, I'm going to reduce you uh, to an insane uh, person that is going to live outside. Look with me at verse number 28. As Daniel reveals all of this to him, in Daniel 4, 28, the Bible says, All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, 
Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdoms by the, night, by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Verse 31, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou knowest that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. You know what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar? You can go back and read it. I encourage you to read that story. He went crazy and he went out and started living outside. He started eating grass like oxen. The Bible says that his fingernails grew out like bird's claws and, and the rain and the dew fell upon him and, uh, and nobody would talk to him. Matter of fact, for seven years, he lived outside as a wild, crazy man. Why'd that happen? Pride. Pride will bring a man low. God will humble people that exalt themselves with pride. And there is illustration after illustration in the Bible that can be used. And, and we see it very clearly in the Word of God that, hey, people who are uh, arrogant and people who uh, exalt themselves with pride, they will be brought low, the Bible says. It's very clear. Look at me, look at with me back in Proverbs 29, verse 23. Back in our text, and let's look at the second half of that verse, because the first half is, uh, is a contrast, so we see that the pride will bring a person low, but look at the second part of that verse, it says, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. We see the humble in spirit. What is humility? What is humbleness? Uh, the dictionary defines humble as this, thinking lowly of oneself, claiming little for oneself, not proud, arrogant, or assuming, thinking oneself ill-deserving or unworthy or lowly. What is the greatest illustration uh, of, of humility? Well, Jesus Christ is certainly that greatest illustration. You won't find a greater illustration in all of the Bible or in all of the world than the humility of Jesus Christ himself. I've often said this around Christmas, Tryman. I'm often amazed that uh, uh, Jesus Christ, God, came to this earth and was born in a manger. You would think, if you read Scripture, if you would think that, uh, that God could have orchestrated a better place for him to be born. He could have. But he didn't want to. He chose to be born in a humble manger, in a place that, uh, that, that was nobody else, there was no room for them in the inn, and nobody else had room for them, and there was no hospital, and there was no, uh, uh, no good facilities for him to be born in. What was that about? It was his humble entrance into this world. What an example of humility. Now, you can't control where you were born. But you can control humility, and you can uh, have humility in your life, not only in, even in his birth, but I think also in his death. You know, Calvary, the cross of Calvary, uh, dying on a cross is one of the most cruel punishments uh, that is possible. And God could have orchestrated the bloodshed of Christ in a, in a different fashion, but he didn't. He chose one of the most cruel forms of death. Uh, why? Also humility. 
and suffering for our death and suffering for our sins and paying for our penalty. And he took the, the most humble means of being born and the most humble means of, of dying on this earth and the most humble means of living on this earth. I mean, you would think a king, hey, he would live in a mansion. And Jesus, yet he said, I have no place of my own. He said, I have not a place where to lay my head. Talk about humility. That's the greatest example of humility is Jesus Christ. And we find that honor upholds the humble in spirit. Listen, Jesus himself said in Luke 14, 11, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Listen, we ought to be careful that any credit that comes our way and anything that is uh, worthy in, 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 in anything in our life, you know what we should respond Hey, praise the Lord. To God be the glory. You say, uh, well, what about, what about secular things? You know, you go back to that king, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And God allowed him to come in and, and take over all those kingdoms. God allowed him to do that. He was not a godly person. He was not somebody that was, uh, they were polytheistic. They were not, they were not uh, God-fearing people. They were, they were wicked people. They were heathens. And yet, uh, when he tried to take credit for all of that, that would be uh, conquering and, and ruling many lands, God said, oh, nobody, that was me. I allowed you to go in there. I allowed you to take over those kingdoms. I allowed you to rule that place. I gave you permission to do all of that. You did not do that in and of yourself. And when he tried to exalt himself over something that was not spiritual, if I could say it that way, we find out, oh no, it was spiritual. And it was God's hand. And we find out that God was in control of that. Hey, and listen, there's no area of our life uh, that, that would be wrong to give honor and glory for God. Uh, maybe you're able to uh, fix something. Maybe you're able to uh, build something. Maybe you're able to uh, solve a problem. Hey, you know what? All that credit should go to God. Because God, in the end, is the one that gives us the wisdom. God is the one that gives us the power. God is the one that gives us the ability. You say, Pastor, uh, I studied at school, and I learned this, and I learned that, and, and good for you. Who is it that gave you the health to be able to study? Who is it that gave you the mind to be able to absorb those things? Who is it that, was, uh, that provided for you for all of those things? And listen, in the end, you have to answer and realize and understand it was God. And all glory should go to God. We find that a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. We find futility in pride and fruitfulness in humility. We see that very clearly in that verse. Go with me to verse number 25. It says, here's a really interesting verse that goes very well with our last verse. It says, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And for verse, verse 25 here, I have down fear or faith. What's fear of man? As we look at that first part, the fear of man. I, I looked up that phrase. You know, we run across the phrase, the fear of the Lord and fear of God and, and things of that nature. It shows up many times in the Bible. But, uh, but the fear of man, uh, I looked up just that phrase and it only shows up right here in this passage. So what is exactly the fear of man? Uh, I read somewhere uh, in, in one of the... Uh, 
In commentaries, he put it this way. I thought he did a good job. He said, a reverence of human authority. And to a certain extent, that's proper and that's right. And listen, there is balance in the Bible. God has told us to obey the authorities that we have over top of us. And there are uh, authorities that we have over top of us that we ought to obey and we ought to follow. Uh, but there comes a time, sometimes uh, the fear of man should not cross over to the fear of God. Sometimes authorities go against what God has said. And listen, the disciples, you remember when they were, uh, when they were punished for preaching the gospel. You remember when they were taken aside and, and the, the magistrate said, hey, we don't want you preaching the gospel around here. Don't mention this thing of Jesus. And they said, we ought to obey God rather than man. They were saying, listen, we are supposed to obey you, but you know what? God trumps your authority. And when you go against what God has said, then we're going to obey what God has said. But there is a great deal of fear of man that is out of balance. One of the things I appreciate about the uh, prophets in the Bible is their boldness. They did not have a fear of man. And, uh, and the Bible says in Jeremiah 1.8, uh, as God is talking to Jeremiah and he's encouraging. Matter of fact, most of these prophets, when they were called, you remember when Moses was called. He said, God, I, I can't go. I can't speak. I'm, I'm a timid fella and I, I don't know how to frame the words right. And, and God said, listen, Moses, you're the one I want to use. And, and Jeremiah, he was called of God. And, and God said this in Jeremiah 1.8, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And these prophets, they had to stand before, as Daniel did, he had to stand before the king and tell him, Your kingdom? It's about to be gone. You're about to turn into a wild, crazy man that's going to go live outside for a long time. Now, you don't think that took boldness. You try it someday. and Walk up to the, uh, the man in charge and say, listen, here's what God said. Uh, what about Samuel when uh, he was even just a young child and Eli had not been doing right in the temple and his sons were, uh, were, were living terribly and 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 Eli or God came to Samuel and said Samuel hey I want you to go to Eli and I want you to tell him this you talk about fear he was just a young child and looking at, at somebody that was raising him and, and, and training him in the work of the ministry. And, and we find that he did that. He was bold. But one of the boldest people I think of uh, oftentimes is Elijah. And how many times that, uh, that he went to the king and he would stand there and tell him, listen, it's not going to rain until uh, I say so. And pronounced a famine on the land. You talk about boldness. And they hunted up and down. And Elijah went by the brook Cherith. And then God moved him over to a widow woman to take care of him. And, and he had boldness. And he stood up and he did not allow the fear of man to enter his life. He stood for God. Look again with me in verse number 25. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare. What is the snare that it brings? Well, it presents a lot of problems in our life. It presents uh, not doing the will of God. Think about those prophets that God said, Hey, I want you to go and say, Thus saith the Lord. And they stand up and they say, Wow, God, I am scared to death of these people. I'm out of here. And they wouldn't do it. 
Why? Because the fear of man would cause a snare in their life that they would not complete what God had commanded or asked them to do. Think about it in our life, because you're probably not a prophet, all right? So what's, what's the fear of man? How does that come into play in our life? Listen, God has called us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, uh, to be able to give out gospel tracts, to be able to witness to our family. Hey, listen, sometimes it's fearful when you go to present the gospel to somebody. Sometimes you're thinking, man, I, uh, this person, they're going to get mad at me. I remember when I was in uh, school and, and uh, I was challenged to invite my, I went to a public school and I was challenged to invite my, uh, my friends from school to church. And I thought, I'm going to do that. And so I was too shy and nervous at school. So at school, I, I said, hey, give me your number. I want to call you later. And, uh, and I, got, I got the number of four or five friends, and, and, uh, and I went home that night, and, and, and I thought, I had like four or five of them. And I thought, oh boy, here's this guy. He certainly is not going to come. And I thought, maybe this one will come. Maybe this one will come, but this guy, he's not coming. You know what I did? I thought, I'm going to start with that guy. Let's start right at the top. And you know what I called him? And I said, hey, I just I want to invite you to our church. We're having an activity. We're having something. And I called him up on the telephone and I invite him. Did he come? No, he didn't come. But I didn't allow fear to keep me from doing what God wanted me to do. And listen, we need to have we need to overcome that fear. Everyone has fear in their life. Uh, fear is a natural thing. It's a normal thing. I've told my kids many times, it's normal, it's natural to have fear, and that's okay, but you should not allow your fear to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. And we find that in this verse. It says, but the fear of man bringeth a snare. How many people have not surrendered to preach because of fear of man? Uh, how many people have not witnessed for a fear of man? How many people have not stood up for what is right when everything else around them is doing what is wrong and they have had a fear of man and they have not stood for what is right because a fear of man and it presents a snare in our life and that snare will keep us from fulfilling what God wants us to do in our life. The fear of man prevents a snare. But the second part of that verse says, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. What is trust? It is confidence, a reliance or resting of the mind. Can I say this? It is a lot easier to say that you trust than it is to actually do the trusting. I've used this illustration many times and over the years. And if I had a if I had a chair and uh, like this one, but but uh, maybe not as big. And and you'd look and you saw that 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 leg was partially broken, and that that leg right there was, I mean, it was all but gone. And and uh, and I ask you and I say, hey, do you, do you think that that chair will hold your weight? And you look at it, you look at them legs, and you say. Yeah, I think it would. And I say, then have a seat. And you're like, mm, not sure about that. 
It's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to actually do it and to say, oh, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to rest. You notice the idea with confidence is a reliance or resting of the mind. And it's so hard so many times we trust the Lord with our salvation. If I were to say, hey, you're, you're saved, praise the Lord, and you're secure in your faith, praise the Lord for that. And we would say, man, we'd be content that, hey, we know for sure that we're saved. But when God wants us to do something and to trust Him with an unknown in our life, with a variable that maybe we can't complete, and maybe something that we say, I'm not sure about that. And we say, uh, I don't know that I could do that. And we're lacking the trust in our life. We'll trust God with eternity, but so many times we won't trust God with our, with our daily life from day to day living and following God. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 verses that we know, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. We need to trust God. And it says here in verse 25, whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. We've played that, I've heard that song a few times played recently in our invitation that God will take care of you. And listen, God will take care of you. I can assure you this, that, that God, he didn't, there's a whole Bible full of people that God did not fail. And he won't fail you either. God is trustworthy. And we ought to trust him. We see in verse 25, we see the fear of man or faith in God. And, and we see what it can, a snare that it will present. And pride, we see the futility of it or the fruition of, of being humble in our life. Look with me at verse number 26. And it kind of goes right along with verse 25. He says, many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. The first two verses we looked at are contrast. They say uh, one thing about one uh, something bad and then something positive uh, that is a result of something being done. But in verse 26, we find, uh, I think it's just kind of a communicative. It's just telling us a truth that is here. It says in verse number 26, Many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. What is seeking the ruler's favor? That would be trying to get on the, the good side of the guy in charge. Uh, there's many examples that we could give. The public office uh, would be one. That would be like a president or a king or a mayor or a community leader and trying to get in good with him because maybe you want to move up. You know, we just had elections and so uh, people tend to look at that and they say, oh, he's just trying to get in a good position so he can go up to the next step. And so many times that takes place in public office. Or in private companies even where uh, you have the boss and everyone's trying to buddy up to the boss because they want that raise or they want moved into a different position. And so they'll try and, uh, they'll try and become friends with that, uh, with that boss. Sometimes it happens uh, even in churches where you have a pastor or a spiritual leader or a teacher and, and maybe a, a child will try and uh, be good friends with the teacher because uh, they want to be able to get away with anything or do whatever they want in the class. Sometimes in a family setting, sometimes in school and different settings, those can all be applicable where uh, they'll seek the favor of whoever is in charge. What is the favor? It's the kind of regard or uh, goodwill of somebody. Uh, 
And uh, I've often thought that, or it's often thought rather that if they can get in good favor with that person, they'll be rewarded. One of the best examples in scripture I've used before is Haman and how he got in with, with King Ahasuerus in, in the book of Esther. And you know what he was doing? He was just trying to, he said, man, I want to be the second command. And finally, uh, he got the, the king's ring and he got permission. Man, he thought he was big stuff. And he said, man, uh, I'm, I'm king's buddy. I mean, when he went to dinner with uh, the king and the queen, I mean, he was, he was on cloud nine. He said, man, I am dining with the king and I'm dining with the queen and everything's going great. And man, I've moved up to the position that I finally wanted to have my whole life. And you, of course, know the story that there was that, uh, the, the Jew, Mordecai, that he absolutely hated. And Mordecai would not do him reverence at all, would not respect him. And he got angry. And you know the story. He built gallows to hang Mordecai on. And that very night, he was hung on, the own ga on his gallows that he made for Mordecai. that talks about pride, but it also talks about seeking the ruler's favor. And it says here, many seek the ruler's favor. In other words, many people are trying to get buddy-buddy uh, with whoever is in charge and whoever is uh, the, the person that, that, uh, that can make the decisions, and they try and do that. Uh, but listen, that's, a, that's kind of a universal philosophy of the world. And he's not saying that necessarily that's bad or good. He's just saying that it's a statement of fact that many people will try to become friends and use those influences to climb some sort of ladder. But he reminds us in the second part of the verse, he says, but every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. And, and what happens many times is people will seek a ruler's favor. In other words, they will seek so hard to try and please this person because that's the boss and they want to be, get that raise and they want to get that position and they want to be uh, in good with the boss so that everything goes well, that, uh, that they will absolutely forget about pleasing the Lord in their life. And so on the flip side of that, he's reminding us, he says there in the second part, he says, but every man's judgment comes from the Lord. And listen, we know as uh, lost people certainly will stand before God at the great white throne. We know that in the book of Revelation. It talks about that. And we know also that, listen, Christians uh, will stand before God. We've talked about that. First Corinthians, I believe, chapter number 3, if I'm not mistaken, talks about that judgment where you won't lose your salvation. You're not in danger of eternal damnation, but you are in danger of perhaps uh, not, have, not receiving any rewards to lay at the king's feet. And so many times, we become so occupied with pleasing people that are here on this earth instead of pleasing God, who we will stand before someday. And it's just a simple reminder that he's giving us in verse number 26, many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. And someday we're going to stand before God. I've often said as a missionary and Peru, and, and often uh, before, many times where I would preach there in Peru at our church, and, and I said, listen, you know why I do what's right? You know why I want to serve the Lord? You, will, you know why I'm, I'm concerned about this truth and that truth, and I'm interested in following what God has to say in His Word? Because someday 
I'm going to stand before him. I'm not going to stand before you. And you're not going to say, well, you didn't do this or you didn't do that. It's even worse than that. I'm going to stand before God. And I'm going to give an account for my life. And why I've made the decisions that I've made in my life. And it would do us good if every one of us would live our life, so be it that we know and we understand, hey, one day I am going to stand before God and give an account for how I've lived my life. I'm not perfect. I'm not claiming I am by any stretch of the imagination. But I do try and govern my life in such a way, not as to please men here on this earth, but to please God with the things that we do, the things that we say, the way we live our life, the decisions we make, because we will stand before God. It's a reminder. He says in the last part, every man's judgment cometh from the Lord, not other people. So many times, that last verse I put favor. So many times we're seeking the approval of man. We're seeking to please mankind. Sometimes that's not necessarily a bad thing. You ought to please your father. The Bible teaches that. You ought to please your boss and work hard for your boss. That's, those are good things. But in the end, we have to remember that we need to please God with our life. That ought to be the desire of each and every person. And so we can see just three things that are, I believe, all deal with our personal conduct and our motivation in our life. And that would deal with pride. And that would deal with, uh, that would deal with um, futility or fruitfulness in our life. That would deal with fear of man or faith in God. Are you trusting God or are you fearing man? And favor and saying, you know what? I want God's favor above all things in my life. That ought to motivate us to make personal decisions, to live our life right in front of God. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet, personal conduct. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word, God, that's so clear. God, that we're not to fear man. And we're not really even to seek man's favor above your favor, but we're to be mindful God, that we ought to be looking for your favor. God, help us to keep pride in check. Not allow our pride to get out of hand, but help us to be humble and have humility. God, I pray that you would just bless each and every Christian that's here tonight. Help them, strengthen them. God, may these be the things that would motivate their life. God, that they would desire to please you more than anything else. God, that they'd not fear man, but they would trust you and have faith in you. And God, that they would have fruitfulness in a humble life of following you. God, we ask all of these things in your precious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open.